the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. I think it's important for all of us to understand that in canceling the law about the Old Testament dietary restrictions, it doesn't mean that God is in the habit of changing his laws on a whim just to suit the moment. That, oh, I think I'll change this because I'm doing this. See, let me explain. There were some laws, certain Old Testament laws, always uniquely for Israel. It was never to be continued for everybody else. Just for Israel as God governed them as his chosen unique nation. Such as the laws about what foods you can eat. Certain Sabbath day observances. Rules for punishing those who committed crimes. Rituals. Ceremonies. Feasts. Festivals. Special days. But with the death of Christ who fulfilled all that. And the establishments of the church, those specific laws for how Israel was to be governed, they don't apply to church-age believers. Though God still has a plan for Israel, these laws don't carry over and apply to us. And so today, we don't put to death a rebellious teenager. That's what the Mosaic Law said to do. We don't forbid anyone from eating pork. That's what the Mosaic Law said that they were forbidden to do. We don't execute people for committing adultery. That's what the Mosaic Law said to do. And on and on, there were laws like that. However, hard for any one of us to understand what was going on in Peter's head while this vision was taking place. First of all, we don't live in that culture, nor do we understand the great gulf between Jews and Gentiles that was part of life in the first century. The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles is the title of our current verse-by-verse series. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He is also the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I think any one of us would struggle if we were told that some of the things we've held to in our belief system were no longer valid. I've tried to put myself in Peter's shoes, or (laughs) sandals, but it's too far of a leap. So we will settle in and listen as Pastor Steve continues with our series taken from Acts chapter 10. We read that Peter sees the sky open and a large sheet probably like a sheet from a sailboat, large sheet descends, and on that sheet, he sees all kinds of animals. He sees four-footed animals, he sees reptiles, he sees birds. And the significance of this vision, listen closely, the significance of this vision of all kinds of animals is that this sheet contained both clean and unclean animals as God designated them in the Mosaic Law. 
See, in the Old Testament, God had instructed the Jewish people that they were only to eat certain animals, and he referred to those animals as clean. And they were forbidden also to eat other animals that he referred to as unclean. So there was a designation clean, there was a designation unclean. In Leviticus 11, God gave detailed instructions concerning which animals were clean and which were unclean. But in Leviticus 20, verses 25 and 26, he explains his reason for making such a distinction between these animals. Let me read it to you. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 25 and 26. You are therefore to make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean, and between the unclean bird and the clean. And you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground which I have separated for you is unclean. Now watch this. Thus you are to be holy to me. For I the Lord am holy and I have set you apart from the peoples, that means the Gentiles, to be mine. Now listen closely. The reason that God allowed Israel to eat only certain animals and not others had to do not so much with this animal's bad and this animal's not bad, but it was for the purpose of limiting their social interactions with their idolatrous Gentile neighbors. That's what he's saying. I'm separating you so that you're not going to be with them, lest they be exposed to such idolatry and be swept into ungodly behavior. That is to say that God gave the Jewish people certain dietary restrictions, we call them kosher foods, that were so different from anybody else. Their diet was so different that it would be next to impossible for them to sit down and eat with Gentiles, therefore limiting their opportunities to be exposed to their pagan idolatry because always when the Gentiles ate and had festivities, their paganism was exposed. It was expressed. Wicked stuff going on. Idolatry. They didn't separate their social interactions and their idolatry. In other words, these food restrictions are for the purpose of keeping the Jewish people holy and separate from the wickedness of the Gentiles. That didn't mean they shouldn't have any kind of outreach to them. That was the whole point. But they were not to sit down and participate in pagan festivities that involve food. So God told them to eat differently. Now, in this vision then, Peter hears a voice telling him to do something that was absolutely shocking to him. He hears the voice of God. Here's God commanding him to set aside these food restrictions. In this vision, God tells him, get up, kill these animals, Peter, and go eat them. In other words, since you're so hungry, Peter, here are some animals. Here are all of them. Rise, eat them. Eat whatever you want. Now, for a devout Jew... To hear such a thing was absolutely revolting. In all of his life, Peter had never eaten anything that was not kosher. And that's why he makes his protest to God in verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Now, I know that it sounds very strange to hear an apostle say no to the Lord. We're not used to that. But we have to understand that this isn't so much an act of Peter blatantly refusing to obey God as much as it is that he's affirming to God that he has always obeyed him in eating kosher food and he's not about to disobey him now. But you see, at this point, Peter doesn't understand the meaning of this vision of animals and what God is telling him to do. And that's certainly understandable. 
any religious devout Jew of that day would have reacted exactly the same way that Peter did. So in light of Peter's protest, God proceeds to very graciously explain to him the meaning of this vision and why he's being commanded to eat all kinds of previously forbidden food. Verses 15 and 16. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, folks, this statement by the Lord, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This is the key to understanding the meaning of this vision and its profound significance. In fact, God repeated this three times for emphasis and then the sheet was taken back to heaven and the vision was over. Now listen closely. The meaning of these words and therefore the meaning of this vision is that God was not only setting aside all of the Old Testament dietary restrictions for Israel so that the Jewish people are now free to eat whatever they wanted to eat, but more significantly, God was making the statement to Peter that no longer was he or any Jewish person to look upon Gentiles as being unclean and unholy and beneath them. While this vision certainly involved animals in that it did abolish the Old Testament dietary laws, it's over. So that any believer in Christ is free today to eat whatever you want to eat. The vision certainly went beyond animals to human beings. This is certainly how Peter understood this, how he interpreted it, and he interpreted it correctly. Notice what he said, and he's going to say this later to the Gentile messengers who were sent to him by Cornelius. Jump down to verse 28. And he said to them, this is Peter speaking, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And he means Gentiles. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. When did God show you that, Peter? In the vision. That's the meaning of the vision. God has shown me that I should not call any man, he means Gentile, unholy or unclean. See, this is a major change in Peter's default setting. He has been conditioned all of his life since childhood to look upon Gentiles as beneath him, as being unclean, morally tainted people. And now God is telling him something that is completely different. He's telling him that he is no longer to think of Gentiles in this way. He's no longer to think that Jews were clean and Gentiles unclean. He's no longer to make these distinctions in his mind about Jews being better than Gentiles. See, the Lord was simply preparing Peter to take the gospel to the Gentile Cornelius. And therefore, he had to first convince him that it was okay. It was all right for him to do this. That since there were no distinctions between Jews and Gentiles before God, then there would be no distinctions between believing Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ, the church. Now I want to stop here. I want to address several issues that this statement about Gentiles being clean and holy raises. I had intended originally to cover more of this section, but I feel compelled to share these three. There's actually three issues here. First of all, I think it's important for all of us to understand that in canceling the law about the Old Testament dietary restrictions, it doesn't mean that God is in the habit of changing his laws on a whim just to suit the moment. That, oh, I think I'll change this because I'm doing this. See, let me explain. There were some laws, certain Old Testament laws, always uniquely for Israel, never to be continued for everybody else. 
just for Israel as God governed them as his chosen unique nation, such as the laws about what foods you can eat, certain Sabbath day observances, rules for punishing those who committed crimes, rituals, ceremonies, feasts, festivals, special days. But with the death of Christ, who fulfilled all of that, and the establishment of the church, those specific laws for how Israel was to be governed, they don't apply to church-age believers. Though God still has a plan for Israel, these laws don't carry over and apply to us. And so today, we don't put to death a rebellious teenager. That's what the Mosaic Law said to do. We don't forbid anyone from eating pork. That's what the Mosaic Law said that they were forbidden to do. We don't execute people for committing adultery. That's what the Mosaic Law said to do. And on and on, there were laws like that. However, there are certain laws, and it's a big however. There are certain Old Testament laws that God will never repeal. They are meant to be followed by everyone today. And those are the Ten Commandments. It's very important that you understand the distinction between Old Testament laws. And the reason that these laws, these Ten Commandments, will never change is because they reflect the holy character of God. And therefore, they are eternal and they are binding upon us. In fact, just to illustrate that the Ten Commandments are in effect today, I remind you that when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, children, obey your parents. And to back that up, he refers to one of those Ten Commandments that speaks about honoring your father and your mother. That's Paul's appeal. In other words, he's saying that that commandment is still in effect, and all those commandments are. They're to be obeyed by believers in Christ today. Concerning the unchanging, eternal nature of the Ten Commandments, R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, God gave laws that came out of his character, which if ever repealed would do violence to his sanctity and holiness. Therefore, God would never repeal the moral laws, the Ten Commandments, because to do so, he would be denying his character. So God will never permit his people to craft idols or to take his name in vain. Those laws that are based on God's character are without repeal. They remain forever. So it's important that we understand that just because God changed the law about foods that Jewish people could eat, it doesn't mean that he impulsively changes all his laws just to fit the moment. The laws that were used to legislate Old Testament Israel, they're over but not the laws that reflect his holiness, namely the Ten Commandments. It is always wrong to lie. It is always wrong to steal. It is always wrong to murder and have hatred in your heart. It is always wrong to covet, always, in every age. But there's a second issue that I want to address that's related to Peter's vision of the animals, and that is the issue of the freedom to eat any food that we want to eat. While it's always wrong to break any of the Ten Commandments, it's not wrong today for anyone to eat non-kosher foods like lobster, shrimp, ham. You're getting a little hungry, aren't you? But listen, I'll help you. You can even eat insects if you want. That'll curb your appetite. If you're so inclined, you can eat some insects. And the reason that I bring this up is because there are some Christians who still believe that those dietary restrictions apply to us today so that we're all, as believers, we're all supposed to eat only kosher food. This is especially true, not limited, but especially true in some Jewish messianic thinking of believers. And there are other Christians who hold to the view that by refusing to eat certain foods, which they deem as 
unhealthy, that somehow this makes them more spiritual than others who don't eat as they do because they feel they're just doing a better job of taking care of their temple than others. Listen, the Bible doesn't teach that. Now, the Bible tells us not to be gluttonous. That's true. But the Bible doesn't put restrictions on what you can eat and what you can't eat. Your diet is not the mark of spirituality. That's making the eating of foods a mark of being holy and godly. That's wrong, folks. It's unbiblical. That's a form of legalism. The Bible teaches that you are free to eat whatever you want to eat as long as you give thanks to God for the food. Concerning the teaching of this Paul had something profound to say, certainly from God to say, in 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. He's speaking of false teachers here, of men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So Paul is teaching about the errors of the false teachers of his day. They forbid marriage, and they advocate abstaining from certain foods. What these men were teaching is that this type of ascetic lifestyle, celibacy and food restrictions, those things were necessary for salvation. But Paul says that this is absolutely wrong, not only because salvation is by grace and it has nothing to do with asceticism, but also because marriage, he says, and food are good. Genesis tells us that God created marriage and food for humans to enjoy. So enjoy, listen, enjoy any food you want. And be careful that if you choose to follow a certain diet for health reasons, and that's your liberty to do that, that's fine if that's what you want. Just make sure that you don't look down on other Christians who don't follow your diet, thinking that they aren't as spiritual as you are. What you eat, what you don't eat, has nothing to do with your spirituality. Now, there's a third important issue, and that is the issue of ethnic prejudice. See, the whole purpose of this vision of animals was to change Peter's prejudice attitude towards non-Jews. As I told you, Peter had a natural disdain, as did all the apostles, for Gentiles. And not only was this a sinful attitude, but if it wasn't corrected, it would have hindered the proclaiming of the gospel to Gentiles And it would have hindered any kind of fellowship that Peter and other Jewish believers would have had with Gentiles who became saved. Now listen, today, most Gentile believers in Christ don't disdain Jewish people, nor do Jewish believers have contempt for Gentiles. Nonetheless, ethnic prejudice is a very real problem amongst God's people, because there are many believers who look down upon others whose skin color or mother tongue or culture is different from theirs, thinking that they are better than they are. In fact, there is a whole concept in the church growth movement. You probably didn't know there was a church growth movement, but it's been going on for years. It's called the homogeneous unit. And what this means, this homogeneous unit, is that the way to grow a church, those who espouse this say, is that it has to be made up of people who are similar. In other words, people in the church only want to be with their kind of people. And they won't attend a church where there is diversity. So don't even try anything like that. Folks, I want you to know that is a very popular thought in church growth circles today. 
but it is entirely wrong. It is unbiblical. It is sinful because it is based on prejudice and sinful pride. The New Testament teaches just the opposite. It teaches that churches are to be filled with people who are different ethnically, different educationally, different economically, different culturally, and in every other way. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 11 through 14. I read this earlier. The apostle said, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now... Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups, he means Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier, the dividing wall. As far as God is concerned, the barrier is down. There is no ethnic distinction in terms of your spiritual status. I mean, we all maintain our ethnic identity, that's okay, but spiritually... Paul said in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. He didn't mean those social distinctions were changed. He didn't mean those gender distinctions were changed or ethnic distinctions. Listen, he didn't say by saying this that when he said neither male nor female, there's no more males or no more females. And when he said there's neither slave nor free, he didn't mean that slaves weren't considered slaves anymore. And when he said there's neither Jew nor Greek, he didn't mean that a Jew or a Greek person were no longer identified with those ethnic backgrounds. He just simply meant spiritually, in Christ, there is no distinction. There is no distinction. Listen, what God was teaching Peter, he's teaching us that we should not think of another human being as being unholy or unclean in the sense that we consider ourselves better than them or that God thinks more highly of us than he does of them. Folks, the truth of the matter is that all of us are in the same boat. We're all unclean until Jesus Christ cleanses us and forgives us of our sin. Story is told that when the father of Dr. Harry Ironside, longtime pastor of Moody Church, When his father was dying, he kept muttering the words of Peter's vision repeatedly saying, a great sheet and wild beast and, and, and he just couldn't seem to remember the next words until someone bent down and whispered and said, John, it says creeping things. Oh yes, he said, creeping things. That's how I got in. Just a poor, good for nothing, creeping thing. But I got in. Listen, those who come to Christ for salvation, recognize that, just like John, they're creeping animals, unholy, unclean, but we come to Jesus Christ to cleanse us, and we creep into the kingdom. It's forgiven people. If you've never come to him, come today. Be cleansed of your sin. Be right with God. Your religion can't do it. Only the substitutionary death of Christ can cleanse you and forgive you. But come. And if you're a believer in Christ, then I urge you, guard your heart. Guard your heart against the wrong attitudes of looking down on anyone who is different than you are. Different in what they eat. Different in their ethnic background. Different in their language. Different in their culture. Confess your sinful pride and start thinking as God would have you to think. Father, we... 
are so grateful that your love extends to all of mankind, not only Jewish people, but Gentiles. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you that when you died on the cross, you had in mind all, from every tribe and every tongue, all those who would believe in you. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that Lakeside is, in many ways, a diverse church. Help us to keep that in mind. Help us to reflect the way the body of Christ is supposed to be young and old, Jew and Gentile, this culture, that culture, distinctions, Lord, even in education and finances, and yet all one in Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for this special church. Help us. Help us to recognize when there is prejudice in our hearts because we are depraved human beings, and it would be hypocrisy to say that we never struggle with prejudice, but help us, Lord, to struggle and to have it overcome, even as Peter had his overcome by the truths of the Word of God. And we pray, Father, for any here who are without Christ, that today might be the day of their salvation, that they would realize that, like Cornelius, their religion, their good deeds, their reputable character, it's not enough. They need Christ. They need Christ to cleanse them of their sin. So, Lord, may they come to you confessing their sin, trusting Christ to save them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse by Verse is just about over for today. Our series is titled, The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles. As we are seeing, God was teaching Peter and us also that we should not think of another human being as being unholy or unclean in the sense that we consider ourselves better than they are or that God thinks more highly of us than he does of them. The truth of the matter is that all of us are in the same boat. We are all unclean until Jesus Christ cleanses us and forgives us of our sin. This has been the third session of our series that is titled, The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles. We have much more ground to cover, so I invite you back for the next verse-by-verse broadcast with Pastor Steve Prelo. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.